0: Hello, and a warm welcome to the May episode of the Uxbridge FM podcast. We do this every month, catching up with what's happening around Uxbridge. It's a very exciting month, of course, with pubs and restaurants allowed to welcome customers back inside, and cinemas reopening too. We're starting to see some events happening as well. It's a busy one this month. We're chatting to a couple of the pub managers in the town, finding out what they're doing, There's a new play cafe in the Chimes, the Iver Environment Centre have some half-term activities, there's comedy coming back, and we'll chat to the manager of the Odeon Cinema to find out what they're doing. We've also got a couple of extended conversations, one with Uxbridge Business Improvement District and another with the outgoing mayor. So, headphones on and grab a cuppa. First off this month, it'll be great to catch up with friends and family inside a pub or a restaurant from Monday 17th. Let's chat to James, who's the manager at Bar Italia. How's things going there, James?
1: So we've got Nonna Rosa, Bar Italia and Home Bar. We've remained open throughout the whole pandemic. So we've been doing takeaways and collections, obviously allowing customers to order through Deliveroo, Uber Eats and Just Eats. The outside areas are all open at the moment. The council were kind enough to allow some... Chairs and tables outside the front of all of our premises, which is nice for them. And then as of the 17th, full dine-in and drinks-in, all, all with table service.
0: And Bar Italia in, in particular, what sort of things have you got on the menu there coming up?
1: Obviously, we've got all the homemade lovely cocktails. We've introduced a, a much larger selection of food into Bar Italia, purely because, obviously, unfortunately, the pandemic's swallowed up a lot of the high street in regards to other restaurants in the area. It always changed from season to season anyway but we've just got a much broader selection of food now. So rather than kind of just pizzas and bar snacks, it's like a full kind of blown menu now as well. Very much like Nona Rosa, a a decent sized menu, if that makes sense. Yeah. Fresh produce, you know, fresh fish of the day, meats, um, we've introduced obviously a lot of meat dishes, a lot of pasta dishes, a lot of starters, a lot of main courses, homemade desserts. Um, All the pizzas are homemade obviously here with homemade dough and gluten-free dough, gluten-free pasta, lots of lovely salads.
0: Well, thanks James, making our mouths water already. Now, something I imagine people will be really interested in is pubs or restaurants that have private spaces to hire. Let's chat to Lee at the Crown and Treaty. Lee, I gather you've got some separate rooms available.
2: Yeah, we've got two private rooms upstairs and then we've got a garden room at the back as well, which we hire out with the bar.
0: And what's coming up there? Any special events?
2: We've got a gin night every Wednesday where all our gin and tonics are £4.95. So it's any gin from our range. We're also doing an event on the 6th of June, where we are doing a socially distanced gin masterclass. So basically, people can book a table for themselves and up to five friends outside. And then we'll be giving them five different gin and tonics to try, plus some food. Um, And it's £30 a head. Cool. And we're going to do a reopening party when the full lockdown's finished as well. We want to do a barbecue.
0: Now, if you've got young kids and need a place for them to let off steam while you sit and grab some refreshments, there's a new play cafe in the Chimes. But it's not just a cafe in soft play. There's a lot more to it. Let's find out more. So I've popped into Halo Cafe, which is a new cafe in the Chimes. And here I am with...
3: Alia Jones, the founder of Halo Children's Foundation.
0: So what's Halo Cafe?
3: I would say the Hayley Play Cafe is a safe environment to encourage families out of the home to access bereavement support. The cafe and soft play facility will allow anyone to come in and support the charity, so all proceeds from the cafe go to Hayley Children's Foundation, which is a local children's charity supporting children and families with bereavement when, sadly, a loved one dies.
0: So we've got... Tea, coffee, and a soft play centre opening soon, I guess. That's
3: right. May the 17th, hopefully, with the restrictions lifting, we can open up for everyone to come in and play and sit down and have a tea and coffee, some lunch, a bite to eat, um, and enjoy themselves.
0: Tell us a bit more about the Halo charity. So it's a local charity.
3: So I am the founder of Halo Children's Foundation. Sadly, I was looking for support for my children when their father passed away about... Eight years ago, when they agreed to ask where he was, didn't seem to be any support in and around the area, and no national charities would come um, where I live. So I've um, decided to share information that I found for my children with others, and that's what's grown Halo to what it is today. So um, we registered it as a charity in May 2016. We opened the Play Cafe, which is a great hub to offer support and have some fun at the same time.
0: So come May 17th, will you have sort of meetings and things in here with parents who are in a similar situation?
3: Yes, yeah, so at the front is the Play Cafe available for anyone to come in and sit down, have tea and coffee. And at the back of the premises, we run our support services where we run counselling support, group fun um, activities, art and play therapy at the back and, yeah, complimentary therapies and just opportunities and services to help children and families when they are going through a bereavement
0: there's a website we can go on find more information
3: Yes. Yeah, so for the halo children's foundation it's halo uh, for the play it's haloPlayCaf.co.uk. both linked to each other
0: late at night do you get any temptation just to hop on there and have a quick play i think i would
3: <laughs> um i usually and want to clean it so i don't need another session <laughs> i'm all good
0: thanks for chatting to us today
3: thank all you right. very much thanks for popping in and coming to see what we're all about
0: Now, if you want to get rid of your kids during half-term, if you've had too much of them during lockdown, maybe, then either Environment Centre have half-term activities. Here's Emily from the centre.
4: So here at Ivor Environment Centre, we've got two different types of activities going on. On Monday the 31st of May, so that's the bank holiday, we've got a family fun day. We are open in the morning or the afternoon and you can book on to explore the site have a go at some different trails, or we're bringing back our workshops so you can book on to a workshop and learn about pollinators and pollination. We've got two available slots in the morning and two in the afternoon, so it's a good way to sort of spend half your day outdoors, hopefully in some great weather. So that's the 31st, and we're running it again on the Friday, the 4th of June. And then on the 1st, 2nd and 3rd of June, so that's the Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday of the week, We have our drop-off days. So for children aged 7 to 11, that's key stage 2, can be dropped off in the morning at 10. And we have a day of activities like shelter building, campfires. I think we're making some bird boxes as well. And those drop-off days are £35 per child. So, yeah, you can drop your kids off and they can have a day exploring. And you can find all of the ticket details and more information on our family events page on our website, which is ivareenvironmentcentre.org.
0: That's amazing. It sounds a bargain to get rid of your child for a day.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, I can assure you they have so much fun. We cram them with activities. They go back uh, hyper with marshmallows and smelling of wood smoke and very happy and tired. So Yeah, it's a great day out.
0: Oh, yeah. Great stuff. And anything more happening beyond that?
4: We will be announcing information about our summer activities very, very soon. So if you don't follow us on social media, do have a look for us on Facebook or join our mailing list, which you can find on our website. We're expecting our wild weeks in the summer to go very quickly, even though we're up in the numbers. But yeah, we'll be releasing information about those in the next couple of weeks. So towards the end of May, it will be hopefully lots more family days and lots more wild weeks which, yeah, super popular.
0: Thanks, Emily. Now, somewhere else for families to visit is Cranford Park. Here's Robert Barton from the Friends of Cranford Park.
2: Well, on on Saturday the 29th of May, we're going to be holding our first treasure hunt in Cranford Park. The event is on from 2 till 5pm. It'll be a chance for people to explore our beautiful park and search out the answers to some questions and get some fresh air and have a lot of fun, we hope. We'll have a stall near the car park and people will be able to pick up a form with all the clues on the day. Everyone who gets the right answers will get a badge on the day and also be entered in a draw to win an Amazon voucher. Cranford Park is a very beautiful place and not a lot of people know about it. So part of the reason for the event is to actually give people a chance to explore it. It's on the edge of Hayes, actually, and the entrance is by Junction 3 of the M4. For people who can't get there on the day, there'll be a chance to download the questions and do it during the half-term week. And you can get more information from our website, And We're also on Twitter and Facebook.
0: Now, it's not just pubs and restaurants opening on May 17th, of course. It's Cinemars 2. Let's chat to Katie Perriman, who's manager at Odeon in Uxbridge. How excited are you about opening up again?
5: So excited! I can't, I can't tell you. I'm so looking forward to having some people and voices bringing my cinema alive again. It's been a very lonely place during lockdown, so uh, we're so excited to get our guests back in, enjoying some films on the big screen.
0: And what are the rules going to be regarding going to the cinema?
5: So it's going to be very similar to last time when we opened, So we follow the government guidance with all our kind of safeguarding measures so we have enhanced touchpoint cleaning more often make sure that everything is is kept clean throughout everyone's visit there's sanitization stations for all of our guests we encourage track and trace and we've got one-way systems and of course guests will need to wear face coverings when they're there all our team have been retrained in that in our covid secure procedures so rest assured you'll be in, in safe hands and when you get into the cinemas the capacities are about half the capacity at the moment with current restrictions so we guarantee that there'll always be two seats either side of your booking so you're nice and spaced out and we can always change your seats if you want us to once you get there so lots of things that we're doing to make sure that our guests are nice and safe and can en- enjoy the magic of cinema whilst they're there
0: and what films are coming up next week what's out
5: we've finally got some new films that we're so excited after the kind of block last year of all the the film dates shifting uh, it's so exciting to actually have films sticking to the dates they're meant to be coming out so we're confirmed to have peter rabbit 2 and spiral from the opening day There will be some more titles, so keep an eye on the website or the Myodian app, uh, and they'll be on sale later this week. And then it's just going to be a massive year for cinema once we can all get back in and up and running with things like Fast and Furious 9 and Black Widow due out in July. And, of course, James Bond uh, that we've all been waiting for is out at the end of September, and there's loads around Christmas as well, like Spider-Man and Top Gun. So we're really in for a great year of cinema once we can all get back.
0: Have you got any special events coming up?
5: We're hoping to screen a Glastonbury music festival, actually, in in a a week or two's time. It's TBC at the moment. We're hoping it's going to go ahead on the 22nd of May so our guests can enjoy some live music. So we're hoping we might be able to do that. So watch this space for that one.
0: Oh, great. And what sort of deals? I know um, if you're a real keen cinema goer, you can get all kinds of deals, can't you?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got a couple of different membership offers. One is called My MyOdeon, which is completely free. And you can sign up via the uh, My MyOdeon app or on our website. And this basically gives you eligibility to our um, best deals. So it unlocks the cheapest tickets for you. So when you book in advance on our digital platforms like the website and the app, you will get the cheapest tickets for selected shows and you'll also get all the offers sent straight to you so you know exactly when the what the best deals are and, and when to come. And then we also have an, an offer, a membership deal called My Limitless and this is a paid-for offer. At the moment, there's an introductory price of just 9 99 per month uh, and this deal is running until September. When you sign up, you basically can watch unlimited films for just nine ninety nine a month. Um, there's only a few very small upgrades uh, around IMAX, for example. But in the main, it sticks at that price, and you can see as many films as you like. You know, two a day, one a day, whatever you like, just for that that nine ninety nine per month. So uh, it's an amazing deal, and it'll even give you some discounts on your food as well.
0: Oh, cool! I've always wondered, can I actually hire one of the
5: cinema screens? Yes you can do. We've got an events team that help us with those bookings uh, and at the moment obviously we're following government guidance with regard to uh, numbers and and kind of households and making sure that we can keep people safe in those in those new bookings. We do things like big screen gaming uh, where you can hire a screen and bring your Xbox, uh, your PlayStation and you can p- kind of play Fortnite on the big screen. We've been doing that at various times over lockdown when the cinemas were open and you can hire screens for things like conferences or private film screenings if you wanted to do something Something where you could kind of watch a film just you and your family we can we can look at options for that too
0: oh wow that's great
5: And we just can't wait to start welcoming people back into the cinema so they can enjoy the big screen um, you know and we know how much our guests have missed us through our kind of surveys and social media interaction while we've been closed and uh, unsurprisingly one of the things that they've missed the most is our nachos and cheese so we will be making sure we've got lots of that in stock next week so we can't wait to see you all when you can get back just hop over to the website uh, or download the MyOdian app
0: great Stuff. Thanks, Katie, and good luck for Monday. Thanks very much. So pubs and cinemas reopening. Also, comedy coming up too. Phil Smith runs the comedy bunker at the Uxbridge Golf Club. What's going on there, Phil?
6: We're starting back on May the twenty-first is the first date back.
0: So who's coming on the twenty-first?
6: We have got a guy called Sol Bernstein. He is a uh, character act. He he builds himself as the, the oldest working Jew on the circuit. Okay. Well, his character is like this old school Jewish guy. You know, he's he's geeked with them all. If you look at his website, it's quite amusing. What this as his achievements? Got a guy called Julian Dean coming as well. Yeah. He uh, he supported Paul Chowdhury actually on his latest tour, Wembley Arena, selling out ten thousand people.
0: Wow! So, what's the sort of admission charges and and what sort of restrictions do people have to follow when they come it's to the still, gig?
6: So, people have to book tables again it's so difficult to keep up with all the latest restrictions so a group of six can come and sit at a table on my first at the first gig it can only be sixes so i can only sort of sell tables in twos fours and sixes the tables are all the same size so obviously i'd rather get six people around a table than two because yeah. i can charge more for that table but but still you know the main thing is as ever just to make it a good gig rather than you know make massive amounts of money i'm so cautious over the booking at the moment i mean i, I booked book milton jones for a gig in july but you know that will sell out in a couple of days when I put the tickets on show. But I just so I'm not shouting about too much yet because I can only fit like sixty people roughly in the room at the moment. They sell out within within days, so I'm not booking that far advance yet.
0: No. And what's the rules once you're in there? Do you have to wear a mask, or are you you find on your yeah, table? Yeah, so
6: you arrive wearing a mask, sit down at your table. You can take your mask off, pop your mask on if you need to go to the toilet, or go for a cigarette or whatever you do. Um, but it's table service. Everyone's getting quite used to this table service now, actually. You know, no queues at the bar. (laughs) So just sit there and click your fingers. So it might actually continue. There might be a table element that still continues when we are allowed to do everything again.
0: Thanks, Phil. Hope it goes well. Next up, a couple of extended conversations. If you want to know what's coming up in Uxbridge Town Centre in the summer, keep listening. So, welcome to Kira Gibson from Uxbridge BID. That's Uxbridge Business Improvement District. First of all, Kira, can you explain what a business improvement district is?
7: Yes, I can. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. It's all right. And to come in and chat today. The Uxbridge Business Improvement District our main aim is to make Uxbridge an even better place to live, work, and socialise. We work with all of the town centre businesses, eateries, professional services, retail, corporate office sector to improve Uxbridge Town Centre. Our consumer-facing brand is Love Uxbridge, so a lot of you probably follow us on Instagram and see all the updates. And via that, we promote everything Uxbridge Town Centre and all the projects that we work on and lead on. We just want it to be cleaner, greener, safer.
0: And how is it funded?
7: We're funded by local businesses who pay a levy and the levy amount differs depending on the size of the business which is based on rateable value and all the money goes into a pot and then we inject all of it back into Uxbridge Town Centre.
0: Wow (laughs) and it's been operating for how long so far?
7: We've been you get a five-year term with a bid and we're currently in year four Uh uh, which is both amazing and scary.
0: You're hoping of course you get voted in again for the next five years I guess.
7: Yes, I mean, we are hoping that, but sort of how the renewal works is uh, everybody, the businesses get a chance to vote.
0: And what, what area does it cover? Is it just the town centre?
7: So our bid areas? zone runs from Sainsbury's to Marjack's Roundabout and St Andrew's Roundabout to the Swan and Bottle. It's not a vast area. That's a, a, a benefit, I think, to have, because mm. sort of our main bid area is the town centre and the High Street. Yeah. So it's nice to then put activities and events on in the town centre and you're then more in the hubbub.
0: Is it a big team that runs the bid?
7: There is. There's now seven of us, which is hard to believe. So myself, who run, is the marketing and events manager. Um, we've got Mike, who is the bid manager. Uh, and then we have two part-time members of staff, Amanda, who is the office administrator and Eileen, who is our business coordinator. Uh, and then new team members are Josh and Tom, who are the Uxbridge Bid Security Ambassadors.
0: Ah, I've seen those around, yes. You
7: have. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and they patrol the high street seven days a week, between the hours of 10 and 6 normally. The hours do vary. Um, and they deal with shoplifting, petty theft, antisocial behaviour. They provide support to the retail, also the eateries bars, whoever, they'll help anyone. I've seen them help little old ladies cross the road and yeah. they're, they're really good lads. Um, <laughs> and we also have a bid funded police officer. So we fund a mm. full time metropolitan police officer. So we have PC Rice and she's, she's the new addition to the team. And uh, yeah, we're very blessed to have such a wonderful team.
0: I know you've had lots of events in the past. Give us some highlights of some of the um, events that you've funded along the way.
7: I mean, what haven't we done? Obviously, a big part of what we do is the Crime Reduction Partnership, which i have just touched on, which is obviously yeah. security ambassadors uh, and the police officer. In addition to that, we also pay for somebody at the Civic Centre CCTV room. So we fund a full-time member of staff there. Mm-hmm. So we have 24-hour coverage. And without us, there wouldn't be 24-hour coverage. Uh, across the whole borough, not just Sucksbridge Town Centre. Our street cleaning comes into that. We have our COVID-safe street cleaners that come in for 14 hours a week. You'll often see them walking around disinfecting everything. Yeah, Everything from floral displays. I mean, we sponsor all the hanging baskets, the flowers on Oxford Road, flowers in front of Market House, the bands, performances, kids' activities, pumpkin carving, half-term <laughs> activities, Fireworks at Christmas, the Santa Dash in Vassaridge Park, wrap up Bucksbridge campaign which we did in partnership with Trinity Homeless Projects, the Independence campaign, uh, the Christmas guide which we do every year and one of my favourite things to design and work on. So I'm, sure if, really... uh,
0: I'm sure if I'm sure if Print did a glitter run, yeah. you'd, you'd add that as well to the leaflet, wouldn't you? Yes, <laughs> definitely.
7: Well, that's it in supporting local businesses with what we do. So mm. all our printing and design is done through Prontoprint. Just Great. up the road, you know, we keep everything, any flower displays we use, either, you know, window flowers who the council use, we use the flower store. It's just about keeping it local.
0: Yeah. And what are some of the main concerns then from shops and businesses? Probably guess a few of them, but uh, <laughs> what's the yeah. main ones?
7: I think footfall will always be retail's biggest concern. More and more is moving online but I do firmly believe that people still want to come into a town centre and support their community, particularly over the last few months where we've had to stay home in the sense that we've had to keep it local. Mm. People that live in Uxbridge that perhaps went elsewhere to shop either for food or clothes or whatever, bicycles, whatever it may be, they've now come into their local town centre um, and their local businesses and now more than ever it is people still want to support local. Mm. They want to shop local. Uh, and keep it local. And as I said, I think if a town centre is clean, safe and attractive, people will come. Oh, yeah. There's so much research into this. And that's why we as a bid focus on these three things. Because if you come into your town, you feel safe. It's, got, it's clean. It's nice to look at. You've got lots of flowers. You've got a good range of shops, eateries, businesses. You are going to come in. And I think we have a really good range here in Oxbridge. We're very lucky.
0: Yeah. So you must spend a lot of your time talking to shop owners and and businesses. What's the vibe in the town now things are starting to reopen again?
7: I do. This is my favourite part of my job. (laughs) I love it. Um, I'm always running up down the high street talking to people uh, and I love to talk. And COVID, in an unusual way, I'm grateful for it because it has allowed me to get to know the person behind the business, Mm. or the people behind the business, where you didn't kind of do that before. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that because they are... They're positive, excited, hopeful. I mean, there's so much to be learned from the businesses of what they've been through in the last few months, their resilience and their kindness. One business who sent an email out every week and responded and called elderly customers to check they were okay. Mm. And she did that in her own time. People that made deliveries to far and wide because they could and they wanted to. Yeah. People that helped out in any way they could when I was putting the Christmas lights up on top of the train station roof, so many people wanted to help and they were brilliant. And even if it was just standing at the bottom yelling, you need to move the reindeer to the left <laughs> or the right, they helped.
0: That's great.
7: And I think, yeah, we've, it's been a real sense of community this past year and a bit, and mm. I can see that continuing.
0: Have we lost any shops during the COVID period?
7: We have sadly, this was going to happen as a byproduct of the pandemic, sadly, but uh, new ones have opened, ah. which is so good. A Halo Play Cafe in the Chimes. Yep, do absolutely amazing cupcakes, and obviously when they can open fully, there's soft play for the kids. Uh, Chai Pot in the High Street, just near the Chimes, on the corner. All Day and Miller, new estate agents. Luke and Charlie are great. Card factory has gone into two units. I've seen that, yes. One wasn't big enough for them. They've had to go for two, which I just loved. There's a new nationwide, and actually we're one of the only branches in the country who've got that really amazing new fit. uh, And if you've been inside, it's just beautiful. It's like
0: an Apple store inside. It
7: is like an Apple store. It's incredible. And Ask uh, sadly went, but it was replaced with the, um, a new sort of um, chicken shop kebab shop Yeah, uh, that does really nice chips. Uxbridge Mangal became the Super Grill. The Laser Clinic in the Chimes opened. A new toy shop in the Chimes opened as well. Tikka Nation in the Chimes replaced Rap Chic. I could go on, you know, and a lot of the empty units, because we are in contact with a lot of the landlords and we do check mm. and Good things are coming. Ah. So, you know, I don't think that units will be empty for long, and which is fantastic. That's what we want.
0: So I know you organise a lot of events, especially in the summer. Are they still under wraps or can you let us know what's coming up?
7: I can definitely give you a sneak peek or two. Um, this summer is going to be floral. <laughs> it's going to be a flower okay. summer. Um, we've got lots of floral installations going in. We've got hanging baskets are going back up throughout the town centre. Flower troughs in which I'm going to paint in rainbow shades that oh, wow. are going to be in front of Market House. We've got 36 flower boxes going on top of the train station roof. Oh wow! And they're going to just look incredible from one end to the other of the station to really make a sort of a focal point of the town centre, mm. which is going to be beautiful. All going to be bright and cheerful colours. We have a giant flower arch. Yeah, I know, which is going to be adjacent to the bigger pret. So it's going to be sort of in the town that people can just walk through it, pose, have a photo, which is going to be great. And we've also rented two of the disused phone boxes because, Ah. as I'm sure you'll agree, they did look a bit of a state. (laughs) Uh, And there's sort of bits hanging off and we're actually going to have them restored and updated and cleaned up and painted. And then we're putting flowers on them. Ah, great. To just make them look beautiful and just make the town centre a bit even more welcoming. Mm. And then every Saturday, starting July 24th, we have bands and performances.
0: Oh, wow. Now we're talking.
7: (laughs) So from two to four, we've got children's performers. So, for example, I've got a bubbleologist who creates giant bubbles for the kids to run through. I know. Can you imagine?
0: Bubbleologist.
7: (laughs) Bubbleologist. Uh, We've got a giant T-Rex, animatronic T-Rex, an animatronic tortoise that actually eats lettuce and draws. Okay. I've got a giant dragon that comes with a fairy. And walk around, we've got Butterfly Stilt Performers, Peacock Stilt Performers, Balloon Modellers, just an amazing array. And then between four and six, we're going to have live bands. Oh, wicked. We've got everything from sort of 1940s, 50s, sort of tunes that everybody can dance to, to the classics of the 80s and 90s, uh, and then sort of leading on for the noughties. So that will be running for six weeks and then Every Thursday, for that six-week duration, we've got the lovely Berkshire Birds of Prey coming back. Ah. And they're going to be there in front of the pavilions. Just to add something slightly different to the town centre. We had them at Christmas 2019, and they were just so popular and such a draw. Mm. And so Angela's very kindly agreed to come back. And I can't wait. They've got a new owl called Olaf. and A little snowy owl, so (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) And then we've also got a nature trail. So I'm working with Con Valley to bring in nature into the, into the city for lack of a better word this year.
0: Yeah.
3: Cause
7: they're only five minutes out of Uxbridge town center. Mm. I think now more than ever, just get kids out. Mm. It's really important.
0: Yeah.
7: Talk to them about nature, come into the town center, you know, and just be out in the world, go for walks, see family, just be present. And we're going to have 25 animals hidden around the town center.
3: Okay,
7: And they're going to be in a nice circle and with them is going to be facts and figures about all the, you know, what the animal's habitat is, what they eat, etc. Cool. And uh, yeah, you can go around, we can get a trail map uh, and there'll be games and activities and you can go around find all of the find all of the animals. Uh, and then the bonus animal is going to be at Conn Valley. Ah. So the 26th one will be at Con Valley. <laughs> and uh, with that as well, I've commissioned an Uxbridge treasure trail through the Treasure Trail Company. Yeah. And they're going to be highlighting all things Oxbridge Town Centre. So they're going to be looking at the history of St. Margaret's Church, um, some of the what would have been taverns like uh, the Queen's Head and the Metropolitan. They're going to be going through Fastnish Park and it's going to be set up as a treasure trail. You go around, you find clues, you learn about the town centre. Oh yeah. And you can download the you can buy the book from the Treasure Trail website directly. We'll also have some available in Oxbridge Town Centre to get. I just think it's a really nice addition to bring people into Uxbridge.
0: Yeah, of course these are all ideas to increase footfall, aren't they, in the town. And um especially more recently there's been a definite drive to put um like pavement cafes and the restaurants tables and chairs mm-hmm. on the pavements looking really quite um European in a it way. It is. It looks yeah.
7: gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Anyone's got any suggestions for improvements to Uxbridge Town Centre? Can they get in touch with you or or the team to offer help or or suggestions?
7: Yes, we love suggestions, good suggestions. (laughs) We love, um, because it's always nice to see what people feel the town needs. I always think a wedding shop would be brilliant or a lush. Those are my two. I really want a lush in a wedding shop. I just think it would uh, add a little something extra to the town. And please feel free to email me. It's Kira, K-I-R-A at dot com.
0: Those sorts of things, isn't it, that differentiate towns? I think. Yes. It's just the council doing the, the same cleaning and the and whatever. You need someone to come in and organise some events and get people in. You've got a choice of towns to go to if you're you're not in Uxbridge. Maybe you go to Watford. Maybe you go to Windsor. To bring you into Uxbridge, you need that little extra bit, which I think is
7: yeah, I think great. Just that little that, as you say, it's those extras. It's that. play shape marketing you want people to come in and we're really fortunate that Hillingdon Council are great to work with yeah uh, and very supportive and they want what we want you know a Mm. a thriving town centre for everyone you know whether you work in one of the offices in Uxbridge and want somewhere to go on your lunch break you know you you want a range of shops and eateries or people don't go out for drinks after work anymore. And I. this is what, you know, they don't take a full lunch break. Mm. They don't, all these things that I, I'm really hoping we've got back because of the pandemic Yeah, uh, and encouraging people to be like, no, come, come into your town centre after after work, mm. meet your friends from work, get to know them. So they're not just work friends, but yeah. you know, they're friend friends and go out for lunch. And even if you just go for a walk, we've got some amazing green spaces. We've got Fastenage, we've got Rockingham, you know, even just Marjack's roundabout, walking around, it's, it's just being in the fresh air, mm. getting away from your desk. And yeah. or even if you walk from one end of the high street to the other, it's just nice to, to get out. And if I think the offices and the office blocks really see the benefit of having a, a thriving town centre. Mm. And obviously everybody benefits.
0: Exactly. So. Well, thanks, Kira, for popping in. And if you get any more events coming up in the summer or the autumn, do let us know what's going on.
7: Well, that's great. Sneak peek for October, we might be doing something Harry Potter themed with Ooh. the owls and pumpkins and.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. is it Olaf again?
7: <laughs> Olaf the owl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's great. Thanks, Kira.
7: Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Lastly, this month, you may not know, but the mayor of Hillingdon only gets a year in office. The term goes from May each year. This year's mayor has been Councillor Teji Barnes. I spoke to her recently about what an odd year it's been to be mayor. I mean, also spoke about how she got to be mayor. Now, it's a great pleasure to introduce. I'm going to give you the formal introduction. The worshipful, the mayor of Hillingdon, Councillor Teji Barnes, to the studio. Welcome to Oxbridge FM.
8: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And what a gorgeous
0: little place this is. It's quite cosy, isn't Mm. it? (laughs) Now, you're going to be stepping down as Mayor of Hillingdon very soon. But before we chat about what an odd year it's been, Mm. perhaps you can tell us a bit about your background, where you grew up, what sort of jobs you've had. The reason I'm asking is I was reading the brief bio on the council website. And if there was ever a role model for young people in Hillingdon and particularly young women to aspire to, then that's, you're probably it, I think. Your your work ethic sounds like something else. So tell us the story. It all started in Tanzania.
8: Yes, thank you, Steve. Thank you for those nice comments. Um, yes, I was born in uh, Tanzania in a township called Dodoma. And uh, that was in January 1967. There was lots of political unrest at the time in Africa. And the Indians were sort of getting pushed out by the Africans and my father called it that it's about time that we need to move. It's very unsafe to live there. My father was a father of three daughters and we shared a huge family home, family bungalow with his mother, his brother and his wife and their 10 children. So we were a large family. Um, And my mother emigrated over here in October 67 when I was a baby. And I have this gorgeous black and white picture actually of my mum and I with me in this big baby face with his big goggle eyes looking extremely bemused. <laughs> and my mum, when she got here, went straight to West Straton and went from a gorgeous bungalow in Tanzania to a bedsit in West Strayton. Never worked in her whole life. I joined a factory and started working in factories while I was babysat at home and my two sisters went to school. That was a kind of upbringing I had. Luckily, I didn't remember any of that. My mum was completely distraught for many years and very guilty that she had to work so hard and stick me in childminders and, and whatnot. don't think it had any lasting effects. I don't think so. And then my dad came over two years later because he um, he had quite a high up position in Barclays Bank at the time in Tanzania and they wouldn't release his contract immediately. So he came over in 69 and worked for Barclays Bank in Station Road, Hayes. We got a bank flat in Hayes End which we lived in for a few years, nearly five years. And then in 74, my dad bought his first house on Lansbury Drive in Hayes. When when we moved in, I was, I think, about seven. And they lived there for the rest of their their days, basically. I grew up there. I went to Hayes Park School. I remember it well. I remember as a young girl complaining that I had to walk to school and I was very tired and had to walk home every day. My dad was the only driver in the house. My mum didn't drive she worked part-time by then so she would take us to school and drop us off I don't remember them as, as happy days it, you know I think my childhood was really dull and boring we had an, a nice house we had a nice big garden I used to play in it on my own a lot outside I had a large family I've got 10 aunts and uncles on my mum's side five on my dad's I had hundreds of cousins so we used to see them very often so that was really nice with loads and loads of family things but my dad was traditional and westernized. He wanted me to speak English at home and outside the house. He wanted us to, all to have a great education. He wanted us all to learn to drive. He wanted us all to have a good understanding and respect for our surroundings, the British culture and people around us. But at the same time we were also very traditional. We learned how to do our own, you know, prayers at home. We learnt how to dress very traditionally. I wasn't allowed to cut my hair. I wasn't allowed to go out. So classes and clubs after school were forbidden. It was a very academic upbringing. Mm. And that was the thing. I was always brought up to believe, well, one day you're going to be somebody's wife and somebody's mum and somebody's daughter-in-law. So it doesn't matter what you really do with your life right now while you're single, because really you just need the skills to run a home, learn to cook and be a good mum. Okay. (laughs) So that was what I was achieving or trying to, that that was what I was told was supposed to be my dream. Yeah. Didn't work very well.
0: No. (laughs) So you thought, no, don't want that.
8: (laughs) That's exactly what I used to think very quietly in my head, but never used to say it. I started working. I left school. I went to Mellor School, left school at 16. It was really difficult, you know, Steve, because I'm quite fair skinned, but with very dark features. And so... People didn't always work out if I was Indian or Italian or it it was very strange. But at school, my only friend, my very close friend was a Hindu girl called Seema. And we used to mix together in the school. Everybody else there was English. Uh, You know, it was very different then. And I sort of used to get picked on with sort of racism, mainly because my hair was so long and in plaits. And that was what people pick on was the fact my hair was long in plaits. So I couldn't wait to leave school. I hated it. I wasn't very academic. I found all the subjects really difficult. I couldn't wait to leave school and start work.
0: Yeah. So, you got your first job, I guess, I did. fairly early. Uh,
8: 17. Yeah. For a little firm down North Hyde Road in a little accounts office. I mean, uh, it was deathly boring, to be quite honest. <laughs> I didn't know then that I was people person and not a back office person. And so, after a year, I, I kind of resigned, but I immediately got a job with Barclays Bank and I was um, put into a straight and branch. In those days, you weren't allowed to be in a branch with another relation and my dad was in Hayes. So I was putting my straight in and it was wonderful. I loved it. And that's when I started to really engage with people. I just, I loved it. I loved the work. I really excelled. I loved the fact that banks were on a main road so I could go out at lunchtime and spend my money in clothes shops, buying loads of clothes and shoes. It was so great. It, it was a making of me. I, I was 19 at the time. I passed my driving test the same year as well. So that was a really exciting year. Then a couple of years later, I turned 21. And that was so wonderful in the bank. And they all bought me a gorgeous present and a big card. And, oh, it was lovely. I absolutely loved it.
0: So Barclays Bank, you carry on there for quite a while, it seems.
8: I do. I moved from West Straiton to Baker Street branch, which was very eye-opening. So I went from a branch of 30 staff in Westrayton to a branch on five floors and a building across the road with 150 staff. Okay. But again, it was the best. Uh, they're very, very sociable bank staff. And, and I liked the work. So that was really great. The customers were huge, though. I mean, they had such huge corporate clients and very, very wealthy personal clients. So that was a bit of an eye-opener. But it was great. So I, I stayed in Baker Street Branch and then I randomly decided to move to Scotland because I had met by then the man that I was going to marry and uh, have my children with. But before that, and I, and I will sort of add this in before that, when my world was just ridiculously perfect at West in I did then go on and have an arranged marriage because, uh-huh. as I said, my parents were very traditional and very westernised. But my arranged marriage didn't work as successfully as my two sisters' arranged marriage. In fact, it didn't work at all. And after a very few weeks, I decided to up sticks and leave and walk out on my arranged marriage, which didn't go down very well. (laughs) No. Very much lead balloon, shall we say. Um, And at the age of 22, I was uh, very alone because I was disowned then by the Asian community. So I was very alone and my mother trying to find me and had to really make it on my own. And my only regular comfort blanket was my
0: job. Mm. Yeah. So Scotland, uh-huh. that's quite a big jump from uh, <laughs> mm. London to Scotland.
8: It was huge. One thing you should never uh, believe is when a Scotsman tells you that it's only up the road. It's not that far away. It's only yeah. up the road. And I was like, Oh, okay then. So I applied for a transfer To Edinburgh Branch, much to my boss's shock, horror, it it got (laughs) authorized. It was insane because it was authorised within about three weeks and I hadn't even I hadn't even like a thought that I really wanted to do it. And I went within the month to Scotland in ninety-one. And I transferred to Edinburgh Branch.
0: Um Was there a sort of language issue when you first started there? Did you understand what they were saying? Do
8: you know what? It was more than money. Oh, I see. Yeah, because they have Bank of Scotland notes, and you're just touching them obviously all day. You work in the bank, and I started to actually get eczema on my hands, and I had oh. never had eczema before in my whole life. And I didn't know what this was, and I went to one of the local GPs, and he he, he sort of explained, yeah, it's, you know, you've got a reaction to the notes in the bank. Okay. So weird. I did get used to the language. It was actually a culture shock. I bet. Yeah. They were about 20 years behind London, even though they were at Edinburgh Branch and it was gorgeous. They were about 20 years behind London. I was very much very modern compared to all of them. I mean, it was all very sweet, you know, it was very cute and sweet. It was very, very different. You couldn't go anywhere with hearing bagpipes being played. Really? Yeah, just everywhere you went, there was somebody playing the bagpipes on some corner somewhere. Uh, Sometimes it was the chap I was dating was doing it while he was waiting for me to finish work. I mean, it was just gorgeous. I I mean, the views were amazing. Where the bank was is called a place called St. Andrew's Square on Princess Street. Basically, you came out of Princess Street and you were in front of the palace. Wow. It's just beautiful.
0: Yeah. So you were there for a while, Mm -hmm. Edinburgh.
8: I lived up in Scotland for seven years. Yeah. Uh, Had my children there.
0: Yeah. And then moved back down again.
8: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean... I'm going to be honest, I didn't like any minute at all in Scotland. The views were amazing. And here I am sitting here, you know, 100 years later going, oh, my God, it was so wonderful. But actually, the entire time I lived there, I hated it. I didn't appreciate the views, but they are just stunning. And I appreciate them now. I basically just missed all my friends and family because I found out that it is very difficult to integrate into a new community, even if it is only just up the road. It's so, I mean, I might as well have moved to Kazakhstan or somewhere because, yep. in fact, I would have been prepared for a culture shock then. It was the fact that I just wasn't prepared for any of this. It was very, very difficult. And I was really lonely. I mm. really miss my family so much, especially when my two babies came along. I really, really miss not having my mum down the road.
0: Oh, I bet, yeah, yeah. So back you come to uh, Hayes. <laughs>
8: <laughs> to Hayes. I came back to live in... I could have gone to Hayes, but I wanted to... I always wanted to live in Lip for some random reason. So we bought a house in Lip. In fact, I bought three houses in the end because I moved three times in the last God knows how many years. And it was lovely... It was so great to come back. I moved back in 98 and there was a World Cup on, I believe, a football World Cup because I couldn't believe it everywhere I drove around to look for houses. There was all these flags outside everybody's windows, whereas in Scotland, you didn't know there was a football World Cup on. Nobody yeah. even, It wasn't even on the TV. Um, so that was a real eye opener. Everybody was so friendly. The weather was so great. It was so much warmer, like about 10 more degrees. I settled right back in. It was like I'd never been away.
0: So you were at Barclays Bank still or were you working somewhere else by that point?
8: Well, that was the reason why I came back to London was it was very difficult to get childcare for my two kids. And I went back to work straight away after my two little ones. And again, I love my work. They gave me a promotion. Everything was fantastic and perfect. But I'd hired a nanny to look after my children who was from Nottingham. And after 18 months, she said, oh, we're moving back down. And I just couldn't find anybody for my children. And I tried to get a career break or some kind of break from the bank, which they couldn't do. So I had to resign. Mm. And once I left the bank in 97, I then realised that actually there's no reason for me to be here anymore. No. Absolutely none. So I kind of announced it to my husband, you know, know, with the impression that this isn't a discussion. This is an announcement that we're going to sell up and move down to London. And actually, funny enough, he was all for it. He was quite fine with it. And we did. We literally, I put the house in the market. And in Scotland, it's easier to sell properties. I put our house in the market. That would have been Easter, April 98. And by August 98, I was already in my house in Ryslip. Wow. My mum was shocked as well. She was like, really? I thought you were going to take like five years. You're back. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it, and that was why it was easy easy for me to move. So I became a housewife
0: Okay. For a few years?
8: Yeah, for about eight or so years, yeah, I became a housewife. And that's when I got really involved in the community. I became, I joined PTAs and the school committees on the schools that my children were both at. I became a governor. I volunteered for Hillingdon Samaritans. I would volunteer anywhere, anywhere where there was things that wanted to be done.
0: So then it continued into becoming a counsellor?
8: Yeah, well, that was a funny thing. Um, When I was doing all this community work... I used to receive information about my my ward counsellors and what they had done. And again, I sort of advised, don't ever do this, anyone. There was a tick box saying, would you like to help us? So I just went (laughs) tick, like I normally did with volunteer work, thinking that nobody on the planet is going to ring me. And lo and behold, seven days later, I get a phone call. Oh, you put a tick on the box. We've seen that. We would like you to start helping us. So inadvertently, I started helping counsellors with their in touch leaflets, with their leaflets. And I'd done that for about a year, happened to be going towards an election. And then I got a tap on the shoulder saying, would you like to stand as a councillor? You've been very helpful. (laughs) You seem to be a very community-based person. Would you like to stand? And I was like, is it very involved? And I was told in about a three-minute brief, no, you barely do anything. Talk to a few residents, come to a few meetings. You can public speak, I'm sure, I won't even need that. It'll be fine. Yeah, And you might not even get elected. <laughs> so uh, everything above was wrong. I did get elected and I had to hit the ground running because it was insane. I was already getting emails. I was getting phone calls. I was put on three committees. I had other two to go to. My life just literally exploded. Yeah. And I do still talk to that counsellor that um, gave me that advice in the first place. So it was. It was a real eye opener.
0: You became a mayor. <laughs>
8: mm.
0: um, this was May last year. I yes. can't quite remember what stage of lockdown we were at then. I'm pretty sure we were doing PE with Joe and clapping for the NHS every Thursday. We were
8: still doing all of that. Um, meetings were still um, by law online. You weren't allowed to socialise and have people around your house. So it was still quite heavy. Still quite yeah. heavy lockdown.
0: In those first few weeks i guess you couldn't do too much um, as far as official events were concerned
8: no what i did was i cleaned the parlor <laughs> basically because it was a mess because uh, there was nobody in the building so i just cleaned it and i settled in i bought myself some flowers and some potpourri uh and decided to do all my emails i was getting loads of emails and they were s- this is what i loved I was getting these gorgeous emails from all these residents and children and mums and just so happy, grateful people. It was wonderful. I loved him. And I had all this time to write to them. And I, I just, I loved it.
0: Yeah. And the Mayor's Parlour, for those who don't know, is a A room where you can host uh, visitors in the Civic Centre.
8: Yes, it's a lovely room that only the mayor can use, so it's not public access to any of the other councillors, and you are invited to attend the mayor's parlour generally, Ah. as protocol goes.
0: So I suppose one of the perks, having spoken to a few previous mayors, they tend to put on a lot of weight because they go to... Breakfast functions, lunch functions and and dinner functions. So I guess you weren't going to outside events and things. That was fine.
8: No. And originally, apparently before, just only over 10 years ago, mayors would have a weigh-in. You would become the mayor and that night they weighed you. and then 12 months later they weighed you again and then they announced how much weight you had actually (laughs) gained. I mean, wow, that is just out there. I didn't get a weigh-in. I I had no vents, so I didn't get a lot of food either.
0: I guess your drivers have been quite quiet as well
8: they have in fact we were all getting very worried that the poor car is going to conk out because the Jag wasn't getting driven around yeah. it was a real culture shock to the car because it was been you know it would go out every single day all day and all evening every single day for the whole year then all of a sudden March comes and <laughs> it's locked in the garage and nobody comes back and opens the garage door again and says hello to it But what I did get them to do, my drivers, was they actually uh, varnished, uh, sanded down and re-varnished and polished all the balcony furniture because you you were allowed to sit outside and things. So they did all of that for me. So that was really lovely.
0: That's nice.
8: Yeah.
0: It's just the one car is there and it sits in the civic centre.
8: There's only one car. It's a Jaguar. We only need one car, but with the two drivers, because normally you get events all day, then you get a whole bunch of events in the evenings and then you get weekends. Mm. And you really need to share the time out because you can get really tired while driving otherwise.
0: Yeah, I bet, yeah. Mm. So your YouTube channel that you started oh. seems to have been really successful, which I love the um, the sort of casual nature of your videos. <laughs> Various pets seem to walk past. And things.
8: Yes, thanks to the pets. Um, well, that was again my son, a bit of his baby type thing. I started doing videos for residents, and I did this particular video for a lovely resident who was one hundred. He was called Annie, okay. and they wanted me to send a little. Birthday message. Anyway, I did an entire video for her talking about her life because I got loads of information, loads of digging. And I sent it to the nursing home and her family loved it. They absolutely loved it. And what happened was Cam was videoing it for me and he kept on saying, you know, mum, you're too formal. Mum, you're too posh. Mum, you're too stiff. And, you know, (laughs) you need to relax a bit. You need to chill out a bit. And I was thinking, this is me relaxed. This is I'm relaxed. And so when he suggested that we need to really hitch social media hard and having a little Twitter account is just doesn't even cut it. Uh, YouTube was born. He was going to make sure it was going to be like hot <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's
8: great. Yeah. Do you think um, the
0: new mayors will carry on doing that?
8: The suggestion is they want to keep the channel. Yeah. So I can't wait the end of May because my last day is the twentieth of May. I can't wait the week after May the twentieth to see the YouTube video for that week. Yeah, but uh, so but I don't know. Watch this space.
0: So charity wise, yes. I know the mayor gets to choose a charity to raise money for, and you chose mm-hmm. the Centre for ADHD and Autism Support. Yes. Why? Why did you choose them?
8: Now, I already knew them. I had, uh, in the sense of a counsellor role, they are a charity in my ward. And that was purely coincidental. They happened to be in my ward. They had approached us as their ward counsellors for some funding for a course that they were going to do. So I went round to see them and sat and spoke to Lynn and Teresa. It was when they explained to me what they did that I was just astounded at the amount of effort and time and... Blood, Sweat and Tears, that goes into parenting children with autism or ADHD. And it's not just the parenting, the day you say parenting, it's society as a rule. I mean, it's the way people respond to you, react to you, treat you. It's the way institutions treat you. And I'm going to go out there and say things like schools, hospitals. It's really difficult. It's very, very difficult for a parent to parent a child with these conditions and the centre for ADHD and autism support help these parents they come away thinking oh wow now I understand that when I say this they do that Mm. it's because I didn't use that word or I put this word in I mean it's as simple as that but as 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 complicated as that as well so I was so impressed with them and it was going to, I would have to choose them. They were just so amazing. Mm. And actually, Steve, just on that, I mean, there are so many children out there now with some tiny little level of strain of autism or ADHD. It's becoming so, so common or, or maybe we're just more aware of it. I yeah. don't know.
0: I think so, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. So let's give them a little plug. Their website is ADHDandautism.org. Thank you. Let's chat about the the driving school then. So what made you start the driving instructing? While I was a housewife, I trained to be a life
8: coach because I do loads of stuff. Okay. So I went to actually a hypnotherapy day by Paul McKenna. I had a little bit of a crush on Paul McKenna. And I got to go into this one-day course on how to stop eating chocolate every day. And the weird thing was I didn't actually even eat chocolate every day at the time. I mean, I do now, but I didn't then. (laughs) And it was this amazing one-day course. And it was in 2002. And coaching, coaching, coaching was the buzzword. And I came away from it thinking, wow, I love that. spoke to my husband and said, I'd love to do some of that. So we looked around, I found a course and I booked onto it. Residential course for two nights with a coaching firm and went away, did this amazing weekend and then did the qualification afterwards, qualified in a year, became a qualified life coach in 2004 and started doing coaching. And so one of the main things about coaching, which everybody knows now, is you face your fears, you have goals, you know, you set short-term goals, long-term goals. So I was a big one for setting goals and facing my fears, more facing my fears. Mm. And what happened was I was, even though I passed my test when I was 19, my driving skills were basic. I could drive anywhere and everywhere, but I wouldn't say I was the best. I was a very average. And it got worse and worse and worse, actually. And I could tell my driving was getting worse and worse and worse because it got to a point where I was coming to a stage where I was thinking, could I get a bus there or do I have to take the car kind of scenario? (laughs) And I thought, why am I doing this? I can drive. I'm not going to now stop driving. So my son, conveniently enough, actually, Cameron, again, was about to learn to drive. He was turning 17. And I went onto the BSM website to book lessons for him, and lo and behold, there was a great big advert: become a driving instructor. Oh. And seeing as I'm crazy like that, and I had the time, I was working actually as a teaching assistant, so I had loads of time in the afternoon. I decided, why not?
0: You tick the box.
8: Tick the box again. It was so much like that because, weirdly enough, I get a phone call from BSM. You've signed up to be a driving instructor, and I was thinking did I actually do that? I can't remember. I'm booking his lessons. And he goes, and you've signed up for the whole course. Thinking, oh no. I went off and I trained to be a driving instructor. The the shortest time you can do it is within 12 months. It can take up to 18 and luckily I did it within 12 months. I was qualified within 12 months. Okay. And so I jacked my job in, which I was quite happy to do. Went out there in my BSM car, which I was so proud of my BSM car. And I had some students. um, The first day I was supposed to take my driving Lesson, first lesson I was supposed to have was with this lady. She was so lovely. Uh, she lived in Southall. And the first day she was put into my diary, it snowed overnight. <laughs> it never ever snows like it doesn't in, in April, and it snowed overnight. So I rang her up and said to her, uh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to cancel your driving lesson. And she said, Oh, but why? I said, Well, it's snow outside. It, you know, it's been snowing, which she was very disappointed about. I mean, I was scared stiff. Yeah. Of taking her out in the snow, scared stiff. So that was like my lesson one, and I rebooked her in. I mean, I had everything. I did have a point where one of my drivers drove straight to a lamppost. That was not good. Uh, that was not good. She was only in, in like her first lesson. We were doing a we were doing a route, and on this route, it was a lovely, quiet route. but On the route, there was loads of blooming lampposts on the bends, and she um, oversteered <laughs> <laughs> straight into a lamppost. So that was fabulous. Oh. You really had to think on your feet, you really had to improvise and you have to adjust to every single personality because everybody that gets in that car and even though they're sitting in the same seat and they can't drive, they are all so different. So as we sort of
0: finish off now, have Mm -hmm. you got any sort of advice for someone who's perhaps coming out of school, not quite sure what to do? Is your advice basically tick every box on every website and you'll get a call to say (laughs) either be a counsellor or be a driving instructor? Um.
8: <laughs> i really believe in you to take your opportunities you know that was instilled into me by my parents when they came over to this country you have to take your opportunities and you know what if it feels right go with it and if it doesn't work it doesn't work so what at least you've tried it it's always good to try it and think i don't like that i i dis- or i love that i discovered as i was growing up it was when I became a counsellor that I was confident to say I am a people person I need to be around people I like new things I get bored if I do the same things I'm also very impulsive so I do the box ticking thing and then I get the call and then I think oh okay um but I can cope with things like that so it's always best you know what just go out there and get your opportunities because we could go through a time like we all did with, with a COVID where all of a sudden your opportunities are suddenly taken away from you Mm. and you're made to sit there and reflect for a very long time. So go with it. Always go with it.
0: That's great advice. (laughs) And you've managed to sort of flip the mayor's role, I think quite nicely this year, even though it was a very strange year, but um, well, thanks so much for popping in today and reliving what was a very strange year for a mayor, I guess, and uh, we'll just mention the charity again. If you want to donate to the Mayor's charity, the Centre for ADHD and Autism Support, just text Mayor Hill <laughs> and the amount to 70085 E.G. Mayor Hill5 for a five pound donation. Thanks so much for popping in today. it has been great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you, Oxford Chef M for having me. No worries. And that's all for this month's podcast. Do get involved and let us know what you're up to. We'd love to chat to you. The email is studio at uxbridgefm.co.uk. We're on social media. Just search Uxbridge FM. Do subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app so you get new episodes as soon as they're out. Thanks to all our guests and to Chris Allen for helping out and to local musician Luca Nieri for the music. Also thanks to London Media Lounge. We're using their studios. They have podcast facilities and video studios in Uxbridge for creating your content. Just search London Media Lounge for more information. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next month.